This podcast is for educational purposes only and provides general home lending information. For specific home lending advice about your circumstances, contact a Chase Home Lending Advisor for more information. For more information on the various home buying resources mentioned in this podcast, please visit chase.com forward slash affordable. Hey, I'm Nadeska, and welcome to the final episode of season two of Beginner to Buyer. Beginner to Buyer is powered by Chase Home Lending. You can get helpful tools and resources to buy your first home by visiting beginnertobuyer.com. Last time, we learned about ADUs and how to generate income from your home. Now you might be ready to make the leap to an investment property. So what are the pros and cons and where do you even begin? Alexis Hart McDowell is here to answer some essential questions about investing in property. But first, we're going to hear from a homeowner who's thinking about buying a second home and renting one out as an investment. My name is Matt Sesteta. I grew up here in the East Bay in the San Francisco Bay Area, kind of near Walnut Creek. Uh, we ended up buying a home here a couple of years ago in 2019, just before everything kind of went crazy. Uh, and so I work out here. I live out here. I do all my fun stuff in this area. So, you know, I'm looking to buy our next home out here as well. That's great. A beautiful area. Definitely a high cost area. So it's nice that you were able to buy your first property before things went a little bit crazy. I know you're already looking at your second one, but tell me what that process was like for you buying your first home. Yeah, the first one was uh, more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, prices were high. And so I think myself and a bunch of other people in my situation and you know life point were saying, oh, I'm just gonna wait till it cools down, wait till it cools down. And I just, call it, just kind of saw it kept ramping up. So I'm like, ah, I'd rather just take the risk and put money in the market and see what happens rather than just wait for that hopeful, you know, cool off period that everyone's been waiting for for probably a decade now. <laughs> and so at that point, I, I just transitioned from teaching and realizing that, you know, after I got married, I'm like, there's no way I can make a living in the Bay Area on a teacher's salary. So I ended up jumping chip and jumping into the training world in the corporate environment where I had much higher levels of income and much more security in that front. So I was able to save. Uh, I did make a probably a risky and might have been a dumb choice at the time, but I liquidated what was our like 401k in the teaching environment called CalPERS for anyone who is a teacher in California. That's just what everybody has. So I liquidated it all and threw all that money into my first home so we can close and, and get property here in the East Bay. So it worked out. I mean, it's gone up considerably since then, but it was definitely very risky. And, you know, I don't know if I'd advise it for everybody, but if that's the way you have to get in, that's the way you have to get in. Well, look, sometimes you have to take a calculated risk, especially in an area like the Bay Area where property is so expensive. So um, obviously you made the right decision, it seems. What would you say is the has been the best thing about owning your home? I think being able to, to dream and have fun with it. And even the, like, this silly and kind of dumb but even the wall directly in front of me has like a mismatch of colors that we put together and my wife and i kind of designed how we wanted our home to look and what we want to do with the inside uh we did buy the space from a flipper so everything was already like aesthetically beautiful and there were issues that we kind of had to deal with because of uh just poor choices on the flippers end uh but yeah we had a really good chance to dream and then eventually in a few years ago we got pregnant or about a year ago, we got pregnant, and so we were able to design the baby's room and make that colorful and set up set that up the way we want. Uh, and so I'm just kind of grateful for the opportunity to have a home and really enjoy kind of dreaming in it and making something our own, as opposed to renting. You know, you're always going to have to dovetail back and 
fix something if you make any changes. Absolutely. I mean, at the point that you and your wife bought, were you looking at that property as your forever home? This is definitely a starter home. I, I'm okay. Because I come from education, I know what the schools are like in this area. I kind of know how to evaluate what's good and what's bad. It's not terrible. It's just not optimal. So I knew that if we were in for a few years in health for three to five years, then we could sell it and use that the funds from this property in our next. Okay. So are you currently just considering buying a new home or have you already started that process? Definitely started the process. You know, it started with it just jumping on Zillow, Redfin, whatever site of your choice and looking and saying, okay, what's the market like, right? Where do you see homes popping up? Are they desirable? Could I even see myself in any, any of these? And just kind of like play fantasy world, right? About like, oh, this is what life could be like. Yeah, of course. It's it's nice to dream. I, I think browsing those property apps is my favorite. I love it more than social media. So as you guys were thinking then about the, the next home, what did that home actually look like for you? Like, what are the things that you felt would be mandatory for you and your wife and now the new baby? Yeah, we, we have some requirements based on family needs. You know, we have family members that need a little extra support, whether it's financially or just a place to be for a while. So we're looking at square footage, we're looking at number of bedrooms, you know, we're kind of weighing that along with the feeder patterns and schools and where our kids going to end up. Uh, I know there are some concessions that I have to make just to be realistic with the budget and what we can afford and the prices of homes right now, especially in this area, are just so considerably high. Uh, even a very, very good budget doesn't buy as much as I, I thought it would um, and when I started this process. So Right now, I'm kind of looking at, okay, what square feet? How many rooms can we afford? Because we, we might have to bring in family members or whatnot. Um, but I'm kind of weighing against, okay, maybe I can put my kid into a good middle school, or excuse me, a good elementary school. But if the middle and high school aren't that great, or maybe are lower ranked than, you know, other schools in this area, at least have that, like, time to get into a second property and let it grow. And then by the time the kid is sixth grade, then we'll reevaluate and look at what homes can we buy in better middle schools and better high schools. So, you know, a lot of, I know I'm thinking super far ahead, but those are all the things I'm kind of weighing now as we look at our next opportunity. I think when it comes to purchasing homes, it, it really pays to look that far ahead. You know, it gives you more options in the long term. So uh, since you first started looking and then realized that maybe you should have gotten, you said the pre-qualifications uh, first, have you uh, reached out to a lender? Have you been able to really assess your financials now, especially with the new job to like see what's realistic for you? We have. I um, did a lot of homework there and just spoke with a lot of different lenders, partly because I'm a big fan of getting multiple quotes and multiple bids and identifying who I like working with, who's responsive versus who might be a little too pushy and, you know, too responsive, if I may. Okay. I mean, unlike being a first time buyer, uh, owning a property means uh, that you have either some equity or you have the option to to sell for a profit, hopefully, especially in, in a market like yours, or uh, you could hold that property and potentially rent it. So what are you guys considering as you're looking at a new home? Kind of considering all those, you know, in the perfect world, you know, own property in the Bay Area and never sell it. Uh, my goal was to hold on to the property for as long as possible. But now with prices being so high and everything just kind of being walking in the market, it's hard to know which way things are going to swing. We do see some cooling off, you know, homes that maybe went for a million and are going for 970, right? Not, not a huge cool off, but it's definitely not jumping like it has been the last six months to nine months. And so, 
Uh, right now, we're kind of evaluating what's best for us. Should we sell and get something that's uh, two steps above where we're at now? Or should we hold and just get something that's maybe a baby step, but in a better district or has more square feet than what we have today? So let's say uh, you did end up, you know, just holding and deciding to rent the property. Have you thought about what it would be like to be a landlord? Yeah, I have. And because you know we have an eight-month-old son, uh, hopefully you guys can't hear him crying in the background here. Uh, but we have an eight-month-old. My job is great, but definitely it takes a lot out of me. I've realized that it's better just to lose the two to three hundred dollars and hire a property manager and let them kind of like manage challenges and issues and communication between renters versus just pocket that money and have maybe two or three thousand dollars more in the year, right? So right now I'm kind of looking at okay, if we hold this place and rent it out, I'm just going to hire a property manager and let them deal with it. Uh, partly because I just I've heard nightmare stories about you know people just wanting to complain about non-problems, things that are outside of the control as a landlord, you know? So it's like, do I really want to deal with that headache? Uh, not really. Sounds pretty smart. You have you have a lot uh, on your plate. My, my daughter is also um, about eight months and my husband and I are dealing with the same issues right now where he's sort of our handyman, property manager, and it just never seems to end. So the next thing, I guess, if you are going to hire a property manager, which sounds great, is then finding the right person and vetting the right person. So is that also something that you're keeping in, in mind right now? Yeah, I can't say I've really crossed that bridge yet um, because I'm just not sure which way we're going to swing. Like, I'm still kind of like, okay, maybe we'll rent it to our family members, you know, for a generous amount or a healthy amount. As you're navigating all of these issues and your choices, I'm sure, you know, obviously you and your your wife are leaning on each other for support here. But do you feel like you have other resources that you can take a lot of these questions or concerns to? Yeah, I feel like I, I picked a really good loan officer. He's somebody that I, I worked with on our, our first property. And I probably should have utilized them earlier on before I started going to all these other people and getting other bids. Uh, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, so I feel like he's somebody I can go to and just kind of pick his brain on, hey, how do we approach this, right? What do we do here? You know, he's very transparent. We'll say, ah, I don't really know. So it sounds like more of a conversation to have with your real estate agent. Okay. So he's been able to give you good input in terms of, you know, keeping your current home as an investment property, right? Because I'm sure as you're looking into your your entire financials to budget for the new home, that's something that he could also consider. So has that been very helpful for you? Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Um, the guy I work with is he's been good at like, hey, here are your options, but not kind of like pointing me in any direction, like very kind of like neutral. Go ahead and pick what you think is best for your family. But here are the consequences of each one. Um, OK, so I think that that approach is helpful for me because I'm new to this. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, part <laughs> part of it is like I kind of want to I want to be told what to do because it's easier <laughs> than like <laughs> making my own decision and making it with my wife and I and agreeing and taking that risk. Absolutely. You definitely have to make that that big decision on your own sometimes but you know with with a, a lot of knowledge and, and input and that's really the point of this podcast right we have a lot of experts in this field and they're here to offer their advice uh, to homeowners and, and buyers like you so i'm wondering are there any questions that you still have lingering that i can maybe take to some of our experts to help you out yeah i'd love to know i i know nobody's a prophet right nobody can look into the future and look at the crystal ball <laughs> and just figure out what's going to happen but I know with fertile rates rising and that having a direct impact, but definitely a correlated impact on prices, interest rates of homes, you know, I'm hesitant now as much as I want to buy and move into our next uh, property to help out, you know, the family as well as like find a good school for my son. 
I'm hesitant because I, I don't know if this is like a good time. I feel like any time is not a good time because it's, it's always going to cool. It's always going to get better, or at least there's always that hope that it'll get better. Uh, but now with interest rates rising, I can feel like, ooh, if I buy now, am I buying at the height, right? But I think everybody feels like, oh, if I buy now, am I buying at the height? Like I felt that way in 2019 when we closed on our home. Uh, but now it's gone up considerably. So it's like, oh, was that the height or is this the height? You know, so it's just it's just a challenging situation to be in. So I'd love to hear expert thoughts on like, you know, that age old question, when is the right time to buy and how do I know it's right for me and you know, my situation? Okay, great. And then in terms of um, you know, keeping your first home as an investment property, do you have any questions specific to that? Yeah, I'm in California, so I know that um laws are in favor of renters and you know as a former renter myself and always growing up in rented apartments and condos and whatnot um i can feel good about that and feel like oh yeah absolutely save the renters you know support them but then now that i'm on the flip side and it's me renting my property you know we put a lot of money time sweat energy we fixed a lot of mistakes in this home that the previous flipper had done poorly just a shortcut and get it sold and so I am hesitant to rent to somebody who's just not going to take any pride in the property and just let it kind of come to ruin. So I think that that's a big concern of mine is, you know, how do you find, how do you vet the right renter, right? What, what can you put in place to make sure that your property is taken care of? I know I've heard of quarterly or annual check-ins where the landlord or maybe the person who manages the property comes as a walkthrough. Um, I don't know if that's even legal or even a good idea, but I'd love to know how do you just kind of maintain your home even if you're no longer living. I'm going to take these questions to our experts and come back uh, with some great feedback for you. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks for your time. Lots and lots to learn about buying and managing an investment property. It seems like Matt is really thinking through all of the pros and cons before making such a big decision. Now, let's dig deeper into some of those pros and cons with Alexis Hart McDowell, who you might remember from season one of Beginner to Buyer. Thank you for having me back again. To start from the very beginning, um, what are some of the big things that you should really consider if you're thinking about owning an investment property? So one of the big things that you want to consider is what is your risk tolerance level? It's not the most popular thing or even the first thing that comes to people's mind, but it is absolutely something that has to be considered. So your risk tolerance level tells you what you can afford to lose at any given point and still be financially all right and have enough money remaining to invest in another property. So what that means is that I have $20,000, what is my risk tolerance level? Can I go and get something worth $500,000? Or maybe I'm intergenerational and I'm taking care of older parents as well. Can I afford something that's $700,000? There's several factors that go into that. So you definitely want to take stock of your risk, risk tolerance level. The other thing that you want to take note of is what is the purpose of this investment property? Is this just a vacation home for you and your family? Or are you looking for a rental property? Do you want a short-term rental property like a flip? Or do you want something long-term so that you can get that rental income? The next thing you would want to consider is your price. First and foremost, can you afford it? And I'm not just talking about the purchase price and the down payment, but all the expenses that go along with owning a property, like utilities, taxes, a property manager, vacancies, capital expenditures, all of those things matter. 
So there's several things to consider when you're thinking about ha uh, having an investment property. Thank you. That's already quite an extensive list of things to consider to start with. And uh, you mentioned some of them already, but I would love to get a little bit more into this. Uh, what are the different types of investment properties, right? You could have multifamily units. Like you mentioned, some people, uh, they have a second home or a vacation home that they rent out part time. So tell me some of the most common ones. So uh, the most common ones, as you mentioned, are multifamily rentals, uh, vacation rentals, and people even renting out their single family homes. But I think some of the ones that people don't think about are, for example, vacant land, commercial properties. You've got things like renting out your existing space. People rent out rooms. Hello, have you been to New York? <laughs> You rent parking spots, storage spaces. You've got hard money loans, tax liens, real estate notes, mutual funds, REITs. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on. So you really have to know what you believe is going to work for you and your investment style. But there is a variety of ways to invest in real estate out here. Okay, so it's figuring out the right kind of investment property for you. And then, of course, there are a few things, like you mentioned, that go into figuring out if you can afford it, including your budget, and there are things like rental laws. So starting with, with the budget, do you have to budget much differently for a rental property versus for your primary home? I would say absolutely yes. While most of the things will be similar to your primary home as far as property insurance, property taxes, capital expenditures. For example, if you need a new roof, if you need new electrical, plumbing, those are all expenses, right? But things that may not happen with your personal home that you will need with a rental property in some cases is property manager. How much are they going to charge? You may have to have additional insurance on that home, landlord insurance. You may have assessments if you've got a condo and you're renting that out. There may be some additional charges such as PMI, depending upon the type of mortgage that you have on the rental property. So there are a few additional expenditures um, with a rental property that are not associated with your primary residence. Absolutely. And then something to consider, you know, not the most exciting thing, but a very important thing is also rental laws. And of course, those vary by state and by city. But how much do rental laws, you know, impact your property investment? How much time do you have? Because as a real estate lawyer <laughs> and just coming out of this pandemic, well, we saw a nation, a nationwide uh, moratorium on evictions. Honey, I can tell you about some rental laws impacting investment property. OK, so first and foremost, as you mentioned, every area, state, county, city, municipality, they may have more landlord friendly or more tenant tenant friendly areas. OK, the laws govern practically everything dealing with your rental property from how you can advertise your property, um, property maintenance, right? Nobody wants to be a slumlord. So here in Chicago, and I'm sure in New York, we have laws on when you have to turn the heat on and what temperature it has to be, right? And additionally, the eviction timeline varies from state to state. Absolutely. And you know, all of the things that you just mentioned, these things can intimidate uh, a lot of first time buyers who are considering an investment property. But again, it's just part of doing your due diligence. And this is why, you know, a lawyer, you know, someone like yourself can be really, really helpful there. So how um, and actually, at which point in the process do I want to involve a lawyer to really help me with the legal details of renting a property? 
So I am biased as a real estate attorney who looks out for clients who are real estate investors and being a real estate investor myself, right? So an attorney is always a good idea. And why is it? Because it's the one and only person that you are paying whose job is to look out for your best legal interests. The other buyer's counsel is not, the seller's counsel is not your attorney. The title company is not your attorney. The municipality is not your attorney. You have the one person looking out for you and their job is to help you with that due diligence, right? They can look for violations on the property, liens, make sure the title is clear, make sure the deed is correct, right? They can help you with that renter due diligence, make sure that you have copies of leases, estoppel letters, rental receipts, making sure security deposits are transferred correctly in accordance to the law. There's so many things that a good, experienced real estate attorney can help you with and keep you out of trouble, not just legal trouble, but financial trouble as well. All of them. Yeah, all the trouble that you want to avoid, essentially. Uh, now, uh, Alexis, as you as you mentioned, I think with any good investment, right, you need to weigh the risk versus reward. And there's always going to be pros and cons. You really have to find the right balance. So I'd love to go through some of those pros and cons with you. So let's start with the positive. What are some of the pros of owning investment property? Okay, so one of the biggest pros, right, is everybody's favorite word cash, right? <laughs> People want to have cash flow, right? So there's a couple of different ways that you can look at your investment property. One of them is cash flow, having that rental income. Of course, there's some risks and there are always going to be some cons. So tell us a little bit about some of those. Well, contrary to the pros is loss of income, right? You could very much buy an investment property where it doesn't cash flow, meaning your rents are less than the mortgage that you're paying on it or you could buy a piece of property and it has no appreciation, or you can end up in a market where it just doesn't appreciate, right? Another thing is bad tenants. Woo! Mm. <laughs> we can all recount stories of having bad or hearing stories of bad tenants. So that's definitely a con. Number three is building uh, is a money pit right? We remember that show Money Pit? Well, there are actually buildings like that where something is always going out and you're always spending money to repair or rehab this building. So that is definitely a con. And then lastly, if you're trying to flip a property, you can have cost overruns, which could tear up your budget significantly, or you could have designed this property and the market change and it just not sell. Now you're just stuck with this property that you can't offload. So those are all the different types of cons and a very short list of, um, of cons for having an, event, an investment property. Can you give us some advice on how to, how to just mitigate some of those cons? Absolutely. So bad tenants, number one, have someone who can do an extensive background check on tenants. I hear from real estate brokers who lease out um, buildings and they say, hey, number one, go buy their current residence and don't schedule an appointment, just show up. You need to see how they're living right now because that's how they're gonna live in your place. And you wanna have an extensive background check on them so that you can see how their history has been with other places that they've lived. As far as loss of income goes, you're really gonna have to run the numbers. Those are some of the things that are in your control. So you wanna make sure that the rental income is proven in that particular area. Don't just guess that you can get $2,500 or $3,000 for rent. Are other people in the area getting that much for rent for the type of building that you wanna rent out? 
And then also take control of your expenses. If you know that you've got a bad heater or you've got a water issue that has happening, you need to make sure that you're setting aside money for that so that you can handle those repairs and it doesn't significantly impact your bottom line. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. And, you know, like you mentioned, you don't want to have a loss of, of income, right? And there's some things that you can plan for, you can budget. Um, tell us a little bit as well. Some people have heard about this, but they don't necessarily know what it means. Tell us about the 2% rule in, in investing. Oh, absolutely. So the 2% rule is really not a rule. It's a rule of uh, a rule of thumb, I should say, that the rental income from the investment property should be 2% of the purchase price. So it's supposed to work in areas where the price of the property has historically been stable um, and investors aren't looking for long-term appreciation. So there may be some places in, in downstate Illinois or other Midwestern cities that the appreciation doesn't happen so quickly, but the rental incomes are good based upon that purchase price. So for investors, the key to note for the 2% rule is that the focus is on cash flow, not so much appreciation. And I'm going to be honest, most properties do not fall within the 2% rule. Here's another question that's popular uh, from some of our, our listeners, hoping you could shed some light on this. And of course, there's not always a, a black and white answer here, but should I keep my first house and buy an investment property or should I buy a new home and rent out my first? Oh, I love this question. I absolutely <laughs> love it. So the answer is it truly depends on your goals. It depends on the market and it depends on your financial situation. So for example, in the back of your mind, you have to remember that a down payment for an investment property is anywhere from 15 to 20%. Whereas if it's your primary residence, it can vary depending upon the type of your loan you have. The other thing you need to consider is, can you carry two mortgages if the investment property isn't making money? Okay. So let me give you an example of each. So first of all, if you live in a currently hot area, right here in Illinois, South Shore, Jackson Park is huge and hot right now. Why? Because the Obama library is coming and it's going to be a tourist destination. So you have plenty of people who want to Airbnb out their current house and find someplace else to live, right? It makes sense for them to do that. In this next example, you have a child going off to college in another state. So you want to consider purchasing a property in that city as an investment. In this case, your child is relocating, not you. So you can keep your primary residence and purchase an investment property. So both of those are great decisions, but it depends on what your goals are, what that market looks like, and your financial situation. Not everyone can handle a 15 to 20% down payment on a second home or investment property. Absolutely. And you mentioned some things in terms of assessing sort of the trajectory of a, a neighborhood, how it's going to change, you know, our rent's going to increase. Is it a good place to invest? How much research should you be doing to figure out what a neighborhood might look like a year or two from now? You know, I know I have some friends considering they're looking at places where they hear big tech companies might be building campuses in the next couple of years, for example. You should absolutely do your due diligence on that. Um, who's coming to town as far as companies and headquarters is a great way to gauge what communities surrounding that headquarters might be uh, a boom area, right? Where I live in Chicago, 17... 
No, 14 years ago, I bought here. People were like, don't buy here. Don't buy here. Now it is the hottest area. Okay. And the, one of the things that we did when we researched the, the area, when we knew it was going to be up and coming is because of the other areas surrounding it. Hyde Park was a very stable area here in Chicago and had been for decades, right? Our downtown was booming and more and more people were moving this direction because of the affordability. So you can tell in your city where things are getting priced out and then look at the neighboring uh, neighborhoods right next to them. And I guarantee you, that's where people are going to end up moving. Because once you get priced out of an area, they're just going to move a block or two over where they can afford it. And then they'll start to reap the benefits of that um, booming area already. That's a good point. And I'm glad you mentioned that when you wanted to buy initially, people told you not to. So in real estate and any sort of investing, you never want to make uh, decisions based on emotions, right? You want to have your facts, you want to do your research. At some point, though, you do need to trust your gut after you've done all of that research, right? Like how important is foresight when there are people that you trust telling you this is a bad decision? Oh, their foresight is everything. And it also goes back to what is it that you're able to handle as far as risk, right? I was able to handle moving in this area because I knew it was going to be booming. And now I am absolutely reaping the rewards as far as appreciation in my home, the area, everything, right? But that's what I was able to tolerate at that age, right? Other people, they need something a little bit more stable. If you're a senior citizen, if you have difficulty getting around, um, if you've got really, really, really young children, you may need different aspects of a community to be developed for you already. So where I was, married, no kids, we could afford to move over here and kind of weather whatever was coming the way, coming our way while the community was up and coming. Okay. And I mean, one of the tools uh, that I think you always need when you own property in terms of like weathering anything that may or may not come your way is insurance. Uh, some people are familiar with renter's insurance. If you own a single family home, you have home insurance for you and your family. What kind of insurance do you need on an investment property? Oh, such a good question. So insurance varies depending upon the type of investment property that you have. So for example, a fix and flip, where you're just flipping this property and uh, fixing it up and flipping it to the next person, you would need builder's risk insurance. That is vitally important uh, for a fix and flip property. If you have a rental property, then you want landlord insurance, right? Landlord insurance is gonna cover damage to that property. And it also can help you if the tenant sues you for something, you wanna have insurance for that as well. Cause we all know how astronomical legal fees can get, okay? The last one is if you have a vacation home, and this is a type of investment property depending upon what it is you're, you're doing with your vacation home, you're gonna want a homeowner's insurance policy that covers the home that you own, but that you don't live in full time. So it's so important that you are upfront, you are clear, and you are honest with the use of your property when sourcing insurance from your insurance provider so that they can give you the right coverage for the type of property that you have. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you. That's really, really helpful. And you know, while we're on this, um, 
definitely insurance is something you, you don't want to skimp on <laughs> to save some money. And, and we want to get a little bit deeper into the money conversation with you right now. This one might seem a little bit general, but I think it's always um, good to be realistic when you're stepping into a new venture. Uh, so how much can someone realistically make off a rental property, especially if this is your first one? Are you expecting to make hundreds of thousands, you know, your first couple of years? Or should you, you know, have more realistic expectations that you're going to increase those properties? Profits gradually. So it actually depends on the property and how you came about it. There's some people who inherited property with no mortgage. And so they're just cash flowing that thing like a cash cow, right? Because they don't have the, the purchase price. They didn't have all that insurance issues. They didn't have all of that. They inherited it free and clear. So they're just making bank from the beginning. You've got other people who purchased the property, rehabbed it. So they had all of those costs go in there and now they're renting it out and their goal is a long-term rental. So while they haven't made all of their money back yet, they are cash flowing. And then they know that over time, if five, seven, 10 years, however long they decide to keep the property, they will make their money back that way. Okay. Then you have other people who are saying, mm, I'm really going for appreciation. I know that the rental rates are low right now, but I know that this area is going to be booming in the next 10 years. I'm going to hold it that long and I'm going to make all my money on the sale of the property. So it's different ways to look at that rental um, property and how you want to make your investment return on that property. All right, great, thank you. And you know, um, you've given so much helpful information as usual. Um, before you let I let you go, I would love if we could kind of sum up uh, for our listeners, you know, the really the costs that come with owning an investment property. So with you, I would like to go through, you know, some potential upfront costs, ongoing costs, hidden costs uh, of owning the property, and we'll go through those one by one. So let's start with just the potential upfront costs of owning an investment property. All right. So the upfront cost, let's talk about the purchase price. That's absolutely a cost, right? You're going to have property taxes and you're going to have in, depending upon how you financed it, you may have PMI, right? Which is purchase mortgage insurance or some other insurance, depending upon how much money you put down. So definitely those are upfront costs. Cool. The big ones. And now for our ongoing costs, right? These are things you're going to be expected to deal with for as long as you own that property. Um, property taxes, of course, because only death and taxes is promised, right? <laughs> and then we have insurance, right? We, we just talked about how important insurance is. That's an ongoing cost. You also are going to have um, capital expenditures if you need a new roof, plumbing, electrical, new driveway, pavement, whatever happens in that house, in that rental property, that's going to be a capital expenditure. Another ongoing cost that you may or may not have is a property manager, depending upon where your property is located. Plenty of people manage their own property. Others need to outsource that. So that could be an ongoing cost as well. And then you have your regular maintenance costs like water, sewer, lawn, garbage, assessments, if it's a condo association, um, all the things that you would typically have if you owned a home. All right. And finally, the most exciting, the hidden costs of owning an investment property. <laughs> 
I would say one of the hidden costs of owning an investment property is legal expense. Nobody needs a lawyer until you need the lawyer, right? (laughs) But you want to make sure that you have something set aside for that because when you own a property and someone else is living there, you could be liable for something. If something happens and the roof caves in while you have insurance for that, they may also decide to sue you. So you want to make sure that you have something set aside for legal fees. So that could be a hidden cost as well. And then selling, right? Once you're ready to sell the property, you're gonna have all of the costs associated with transferring that property to the new owner. Um, And that clearly is state and municipality specific on what transfer taxes and fees and things are. All right, Alexis, thank you so much for giving all of this information. These are all things that people really need to seriously consider. And like, you know, we mentioned, it's not always the easiest process, but like you said, you're in the business, you own investment property. So I'm guessing that you would advise our listeners that if after doing all of this due diligence, it's definitely worth the effort to own investment property if they can, right? It is absolutely worth owning an investment property to not only build your own wealth, but to build generational wealth as well. So take heed of the information you receive today and don't be afraid. And if you find the right investment property for you, jump on it. So with that happy thought, I want to thank Alexis Hart McDowell for sharing her expert knowledge with us. We hope we've given you some things to think about over these past 10 episodes, whether you're a first time home buyer or you already own a home. And hopefully you'll use the information you learned here to make better and more confident decisions. And as always, you can learn even more by visiting beginnertobuyer.com and checking out season one of the podcast. Beginner to Buyer was created by Magnet Media and Chase Home Lending. Our executive producers are Ashley Bobo and Akash Swani. Our lead producer is Pamela Lawrence and our media editor is Matthew DiPietro. This podcast is for educational purposes only and provides general home lending information. It is not intended to provide legal, tax, or financial advice or to indicate the availability or suitability of any J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., product, or service. Chase is also not responsible for and does not provide or endorse third-party products, services, or other content discussed in this podcast. For specific home lending advice about your circumstances, contact a Chase Home Lending Advisor for more information. If you'd like to check out the Home Buyer Assistance Finder, Chase My Home, the DreamMaker Mortgage, and other home buying tools and resources mentioned in this podcast, make sure to visit chase.com forward slash affordable.